As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. You're listening to the Leaf Report Podcast with Jonas Siegel and James Myrtle. Okay, James, we are back before training camp. There's a ton to get to, so let's jump right into it. You and I, I don't believe, have spoken on this podcast since the hiring of one Lula Morello. Your initial... Have we talked about this, actually? I'm trying to remember. Have we? <laughs> I, I was like certain so. for a second, and then at the last second, I'm like, maybe we didn't discuss this. Maybe we just talked about it in purpose. And so let's no, go back to that I, day. I was, yeah, I was off when that happened, so I haven't okay, actually so I haven't said anything reading. about it. Perfect. Okay, so your initial reaction to Lula Amarello being hired as the general manager of the Leafs? I was surprised because a lot of the talk was about bringing in kind of like an assistant GM type, a younger guy that would fit in with what the front office was and would kind of grow with them. And no one thought Lula Amarello was going to leave New Jersey. They, I mean, he's, he's 72, 73 years old. Everyone thought that that he was kind of sailing off into the sunset that the role he took in New Jersey was going to be, you know, kind of a, a lesser role and that that was going to, that was going to be it. But, you know, Lou Lamorello is the kind of guy that, that doesn't want to sail off into the sunset. You know, he wants a challenge. He wants to be working. Brendan Shanahan knew that and he kind of played off that. And, you know, after it happened, it was like, Oh yeah. Okay. That, that actually kind of makes a little bit of sense because Brendan Shanahan looks up to Lou Lamorello so much he's been talking to him and relying on him 
ever since he was named president of the Leafs. Uh, that's, you know, his mentor. And Lamorello was was out there and potentially available. So my reaction was we probably should have should have maybe suspected that he could have been a candidate. Well, so the why of, of why he might pick Lou Lamorello, that makes sense, like you just pointed out. But the why of why Lou Lamorello at this time is the right general manager for this team didn't make a lot of sense to me, especially in light of his track record and especially in light of the direction that they seem to be going. I don't quite get why he's the right candidate for now, given everything that happened in New Jersey. I mean, if some of the stuff he did in Jersey, if that happened in Toronto, it would be like Dave Nonis times five. I mean, you look at some of the contracts that they handed out in Jersey. Why, with taking out Brendan Shanahan's connection to Lou Lamorello, why would he be the right fit for this team right now as it begins to, to kind of reconstruct itself? The only thing you can say is that he's got lots of experience. He knows the ropes. He can continue to show Kyle Dubas and some of the other people in the front office, like, like Brandon Pridham and Mark Hunter, that haven't worked as NHL GMs. He can show them how to be an NHL GM. And, you know, Dubas said quite often last year that he was learning a lot from Dave Nonis. You know, Brennan Shanahan wants that process to continue, but it's going to be, it's going to be really interesting because Lou Lamorello in New Jersey, if anyone knows anything about him, it's that he controlled the operation. He was in charge, you know, and I I just, I I don't know if he's going to try and control the everything the way that he did in New Jersey, because if he does, I mean, it has a potential to, as you said, he made a lot of poor decisions with the Devils. You, you really don't want to be him to be the guy making those decisions again. So it's going to take Brendan Shanahan being a, a, a very, very strong leader here and saying no to Lou Lamorello when he wants to do something. Well, so should we assume, like one of the things, the assumptions that didn't jive with me um, when the announcement was made is that everyone assumed that he was going to come into the staff and just, you know, be the leader of a team. That wasn't kind of the way that things went as you alluded to in jersey he was the guy what he wanted was done and uh, i just am not sure how that process is going to work and that's going to be one of the the more interesting parts i think about this is to see how he collaborates with people he didn't hire and collaborates with a bigger team than he was ever used to in new jersey uh what, what part of this dynamic are you most curious to see in terms of you know how it plays out I'm curious to see if the other people on staff are happy working for the Leafs still, to be honest. You know, I think that there's a potential that this could not go well and it could turn off some of these guys. And that, I mean, people like like Dubas and Mark Hunter, they're going to have options. And if, if they're not happy in the Leafs front office with the arrangement the way that it is, they feel like they don't have a voice. I mean, here's an example. I did a story earlier this week on, on Eric Tulski getting hired by the Carolina Hurricanes. And he told me, that one of the number one reasons why he felt comfortable going to the Hurricanes uh, uh, full-time and moving his family there and everything is that he felt like he had a voice there. He felt like Ron Francis listened to what he had to say. He felt like he had an impact on the team. And it's not just with analytics guys. It's with anyone in a front office. You want to feel like you're providing something of value. You want, I mean, it's just like anyone in any job. You want to feel like you're having an impact. And if Lou Lamorello is so dominant in the, that front office that other people feel like they're constantly not being listened to, the Leafs risk losing them. And I'm not saying that's going to happen for sure, but I think that that's a possibility, you know, it just, just from talking to people that know Lamorello and how he operates. I mean, that's something that they're going to have to be very careful about that. They don't lose good people in the front office. 
So do you think all the different personalities, James, you mentioned Dubis, you mentioned uh, Mark Hunter, you look at all the different people that they've hired. Do you think that those people, those personalities, those different voices, you know, the analytics team, do you think that those people can help pull Lou Lamorello forward? Or do you think the opposite will happen and Lou Lamorello, you know, takes this team kind of backwards in, into the direction, you know, that they probably don't want to go? What do you think happens in that respect? I don't. I, I think we'd be guessing to say that. I mean, sure. Lamorello's outnumbered here. I mean, and I think the reality is that he does have a boss here, unlike in New Jersey. Brandon Shanahan is the boss. I think Shanahan really respects what Mark Hunter and, and Kyle Dubas have to say and is going to continue to listen to them. I just I don't know how that dynamic is going to play out if if there's a disagreement there. And and the other the other factor, Mike Babcock's a bit has a big say too, you know. And yeah, it's it's. I don't want to condemn Lamorello before this even gets going you know I want to give him the benefit of the doubt that he knows what he's going to do like I remember when Shanahan was hired and everyone said oh well he's got no experience and you know how, how can you bring in a guy that's never been a never run a team before and I think generally speaking Brendan Shanahan has done a pretty good job and hired some smart people and we can talk about this later but he's the prospect pool has gotten a lot better for the Leafs I mean there's a lot of things that have gone in the right direction so you know, I want to see what this management team does, and then, then then I'll evaluate what they do based on that. But all I can tell you is that there's the potential here for Lamorello to, to dominate everything in the front office, and, and they're going to need to massage that a little bit. And I guess that's the point. You know, I'm just a little more skeptical about it than I think generally the reception was, and that's that's fine. You know, it may work. It may not. We'll see. We have to let these things play out. You mentioned Mike Babcock. Obviously, a massive contract, kind of a, a shocker, you know, in, in terms of the fact that not many people thought uh, when this got going that he would be coming to Toronto. Uh, in ter- terms of, you know, the impact that Mike Babcock can have, do you think it's being underrated, overrated, or pro- properly rated? Probably a little bit overrated, but I think people, everyone realizes the Leafs are not going to be a great team this year. So he's got that going for him. But I can certainly see a situation where, you know, two years or two and a half years from now, people are saying, you know, why isn't Babcock doing anything? I mean, I think what we're going to see from the Leafs this year is that they're going to play in a lot of low scoring games and that could go either way. I mean, maybe they win more than people think to start the year. Maybe they lose more than people think, but uh, there's going to be a lot more structure. They're going to look they're going to have a system. We're going to know what that system is. We're going to know there's going to be a lot of discipline. I don't know necessarily that's going to be the most exciting hockey, especially with, you know, not having Phil Kessel, not having Cody Franzen. But, you know, in the long run, Mike Babcock will help. In the long run, he's one of the better coaches in the league. Um, but, you know, he's not he's not the messiah. He's not going to be able to change everything on his own. And it's really going to fall to Shanahan and the management team to continue to give him better players. You know, that what what. Babcock can put that structure in, but then he needs the roster to get better and better over the next two or three years for what he's trying to do to really work. Hmm. Well, and, and the sense that I got from, you know, talking to people who worked with him in Detroit is when he got to Detroit, you have to remember, like he had a very good team. You know, he had a 36 yeah. year old Brendan Shanahan. He had Steve Eiserman at the end of his career. He had a young Datsuk, a young Zetterberg. And the, the sense was that he didn't really have to come in and change the structure change the order he just kind of had to maintain it whereas here you know he's kind of starting from scratch and he's starting from scratch with a group that's kind of makeshift kind of temporary but stylistically 
you know, you mentioned that, you know, in terms of the system and all the changes that he can make that way, everyone seems to be asking, like, where are they going to get the goals? I think defensively is, is where they stand to be a lot better because I would figure right. they'll have the puck more, which means they won't be defending as much, which means they should cut down on the goals against. Maybe they don't score as much, but maybe, like you, you mentioned, they're winning 3-2 instead of trying to win 5-4. Or two one or two nothing. I mean, the thing the Leafs have things going for them in that they have two reasonably good goalies. I mean, Jonathan Bernier, even if he's only a nine eighteen save percentage goalie, which is what he's been so far in Toronto, that's still pretty good. And he has a potential to be better than that. And I think James Reimer has a potential to be better than he was last year as well. So, you know, let's say they get above average goaltending. Let's say they bring in that defensive structure. Let's say they have the puck more. Let's say they're a fifty percent possession team instead of, you know. 43, 44, 45, like they have been the last few years, it'll all add up. It'll all make a difference. Maybe they win some shootouts. You know, it's they're offensively, they're going to struggle, but they struggled offensively last year. And I mean, I think it's a pretty safe bet. They're going to have more points than they did last season. I mean, I don't think they're going to go a stretch where they win only 11 of 51 games, you know? So, I, you know, they're, they're going to finish the year better than they were last year. I mean, I don't think this is a situation where the Leafs are going to be like Buffalo or, you know, or, or, or Edmonton or, you know, one of the just total basket case teams, I, I think they'll probably be, they'll be bottom 10, but I don't think they're going to be bottom two. One of the things, James, that you first started bringing up, I think, into the main conversation as far as Randy Carlisle was concerned was deployment, you know, how he was using certain players. He, you know, for example, he over relied on, on someone like Jay McClement as opposed to, you know, maybe using some of his younger players more often. How much of an impact do you think Babcock can have on their deployment? And and maybe the most prominent example is, you know, does Nazem Kadri finally, you know, uh, leapfrog, I guess, Tyler Bozak in terms of some of the responsibilities that, that Bozak has had the last few years? Well, he should. I mean, he certainly should. And, you know, I think that, as I said, I think generally speaking, Mike Babcock is a, a very good coach. I would say he's probably one of the best five coaches in, in the world, in, in the sport. But, you know, one of the things I don't know if he did that well in Detroit was give young players opportunity. I mean, there were certainly instances where guys weren't given a lot of minutes or were kept down in the minors. or And he's that's going to have to change. I mean, this team is going to have to be about... They have to put Kadri on the first power play unit. They have to put Morgan Riley on the first power play unit every single game. Uh, they have to give Peter Holland more opportunities. I want to see Richard Ponick get opportunities in the top six. Maybe you play Sean Mathias in the top six as well. You know, the guys that have a potential to be part of this team when it starts its road up, when it starts to get better, those guys have to be given opportunities. And, you know, they can develop. They can show this show management what they can do. So that's going to have to be a huge part of this season. You know, absolutely. I think that, you know, that's going to be one of the big questions for Mike Babcock is how much do you balance who's playing well with giving the young players the opportunity you know and i obviously i don't carlisle didn't do that nearly well enough and it set them back to an extent you know i think that we, that we could be having a different conversation about some of these young players if they had been given more, different opportunities well i think there's going to be a balance though for this year because this year is probably going to be unlike any of his other years in that most of the roster is going to be temporary like a lot of these guys are not part of any long-term plans so are we looking then in that light on Jake Gardner, Morgan Riley, Kadri, Ponick, Holland? Like, are those the guys that we need to focus on in terms of how he uses those players and, and what situations he's putting them in? 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that this season to me is about those players and it's about fixing the system and getting some structure in there. And it's about the Toronto Marlies. You know, there's a lot of really important players with the Toronto Marlies. I know the rookie camp gets going here really soon on the weekend in London. You're going to be watching that. You know, that's the tale of their season is that and continuing to add more pieces. You know, one of the things they were able to do during the year was bring in some good young players, you know, and, and, and get more draft picks and bring in more good young players. And that's this season is in service to the guys that are 25 and under on the roster. And it's in service to making the Marlies better. It's in service to making the, their prospect pool better and better. And, you know, that's that's going to be everything really i mean because we're still talking about this team making roads up not not this season but two or three years from now and they're gonna have to keep building towards that as far as the lineup is concerned i see it like i don't see beyond the guys i mentioned i don't see any of the other young players being on the team at least initially um but when you look at the the way that the lineup is structured can you see this team and, and sometimes this drives me nuts, and I know it drives you nuts, because there's a focus in Toronto on character and leadership and all those things. But can you see this team being kind of an opposite of last year's group in terms of, like, I imagine this group as it's put together being kind of a, like a, a hard work type group. Like, I look at a lot of the players on expiring deals. Like, do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, I can see it being the opposite in ter- terms of less skill, but they're not probably going to be a t- team that will cheat you you know, on, on the effort night night. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of, everyone talked about Calgary being like that, you know, a younger team with guys that just were willing to work really, really hard and never give up on games. And yeah, I mean, I, I, that's, that's what Babcock is going to demand. So, you know, it'll be interesting if, if I think everyone's going to come to camp ready, ready to work and ready to, to give it. And I saw a quote from, from Joffrey loophole in a piece that, uh, uh, Kyle Cicerella did, uh, and Lupul basically said, you know, I've played for Babcock, and the thing with him is he doesn't care if you're making five million or you're making seven hundred grand. He's going to play the guy that's working the hardest and giving the most. So that's good. I mean, that's what the Leafs need. So if our, if it's a Richard Ponick or a Peter Holland or whoever that's that's outplaying, you know, uh, maybe a bigger name, uh, a guy that's been in the league longer, then he should get more opportunity. And I think that. That you're going to see that definitely in training camp. I mean, look at the battle for spots, even with the Marlies, is going to be very, very fierce at camp. So I'm interested to see how all those battles play out. I'm going to ask you a question as it relates to a couple players on the roster. This is a bigger season for Nazem Kadri, or this is a bigger season for Jonathan Bernier? I think I know the answer, but I'll ask you anyway. Kadri. I mean, this Kadri's whole career could hinge on this season, to be honest. I mean, I think that if he has another poor year, if there's evidence of off-ice issues, which he, he had last year, and, and the rumors around this team have been that he's had them for a while, um, I don't think he's going to stay in Toronto. I don't know where he's going to end up. Uh, I don't know how widely coveted he would be around the league. I mean, I could picture... He, he's better than, than the players I'm going to mention, but I could picture him in a situation where he starts bouncing around like a Sam Gagne, kind of who used to be highly regarded, who used to be a very, who was a very high draft pick. Uh, and then, you know, bounces around to the Coyotes and the Flyers. And, you know, Kadri's got an opportunity here where he can really put himself 
firmly in the number one or the number two center slot. He can make a lot of money. He can show that he can be a 60 point player in the NHL, which is pretty good. He could show that he can, he can help run a number one power play unit, but they need all that other goofy stuff to go away and they need him to come to, to camp ready to work like everybody else is and ready to impress Babcock. You know, he, he needs to impress Mike Babcock and show him that, that he's ready to be that kind of player. You know, it's, it's going to be really, really important for him. And, you know, Bernie, I mean, Bernie got a two-year deal and yes, he had an off year, but he had a great season the year before. And I I worry less about Bernie. Kadri's a much, much bigger wild card, I think, this year. Yeah, I think you you touched on one of the key points with Kadri is is Babcock. You know, this will be a challenge. You know, this will be breaking through to a guy who, you know, has talent and and still, you know, has put up decent numbers, you know, in terms of point production, in terms of how they used him and everything like that. Um, but this can be a big thing. You know, if Mike Babcock can get through to Nazem Kadri and, and kind of lift him to what he called, you know, I asked him about Kadri, uh, I think it was in June or July, uh, and he, he said, you know, his expectation is that Nazem Kadri becomes an elite player. So this will, to me, this is a good test case for, for what Mike Babcock can do, and if he can do it, you know, that's another asset in their arsenal that they can move forward with. So, yeah, I agree with you. I, I, I I kind of looked at the question afterward and I'm like, why, why did I, why did I ask you that? Because Jonathan <laughs> Bernier, but, but I guess it, it still is to me a, a big year for Jonathan Bernier, just because he still kind of can, can convince some people, I think within the organization, if he has a good year that maybe there's the thought kind of grows that he can be their foundation and goal. And I'm not saying that's, you know, the right idea, uh, because you and I both agree that signing goaltenders long-term probably isn't a bet, good idea. Uh, but I think he can change some, some minds in the organization if he has a good year. Okay. One thing on both those guys, I mean, on, on Bernier, he needs to show whether he's, he's an average starting goalie right. in the NHL or if he's something more than that. You know, if he, is he just another guy, you know, is, is he just, I don't know, is he an, is he a, is he a Brian Elliott or is he or is he something else? Is he is he a better goalie than that? Is all this talk we heard about him in L.A. and where he was drafted and how well he played in the AHL? He has a chance to show that he's something really special, or that he or that you know he has a chance to show is he a he could be a top ten starter maybe in the NHL. I don't think he's I don't think he's one of the best goalies in the league, but he could show them that he's a pretty pretty good number one. And I don't think we know that yet with him. And the thing on Kadri that, I mean, he's going to turn 25 years old here right as the season gets going early October. I mean, we talked about on this podcast in the past where players' peak is and, and analytics have looked at that. Players' peak in the NHL now between 23 and 27. I mean, Kadri is in his peak. This is his time to show what he is. You know, there's going to be a decline in three or four years potentially for him. So, you know, it's almost like it's now or never, I think, because the organization, Brendan Shanahan specifically, wants to see something. And Shanahan showed with Phil Kessel that if he doesn't believe you have what he's looking for, he'll move you. And I don't think he's seen that Kadri has what he's looking for yet, but they want to give him another opportunity here this year. Yeah, I think that's, that's valid. And, and I think when you look at their offseason, um, obviously the big question mark on the roster was going to be Phil Kessel, uh, Kadri, Bernier, all those guys were kind of second tier. The other guy, maybe top tier, certainly top tier, was Dion Phaneuf. I'm still a little surprised that they didn't move him. And I know everyone looks at, you know, Mike Babcock and, 
you know, Babcock maybe, you know, seeing a fit with Dion Phaneuf. Um, how do you look at the way that they handled Dion Phaneuf? Do you think they made the right move in keeping him, maybe trying to rehabilitate him and then trade him later on? Or do you think that they should have, you know, cut ties uh, if they had an opportunity to do so? I think they, let me say that without any inside knowledge of what's going to happen, I think they are still going to trade Dion Phaneuf. You know, that's, that's my, but that's my gut instinct. That's, that's my, that's my character speaking there is I, I think they are still going to move him within the next year, year and a half. Um, so they're, I think they're making a bet here that, that he's going to look a lot better under Mike Babcock. They don't want to be in the situation where they're trading all of these guys when their value is at the absolute lowest. He's got a huge contract. If they did move him, they were looking at having to take back a bad contract, not really get a lot in return. The deal that was talked about with Detroit was not a not a very good one for the from the Leafs' perspective. Why not try and rehabilitate him? I mean, if this season is is all about all about getting assets and improving assets, you talked about Kadri improving the asset. You know, I, I can certainly see a situation where that happens for Fanoff here. Yeah, and and I think he's a different commodity in. The- that way then let's say Joffrey Lupo like there was no way given how everything went last year that it made sense or that you probably could have even traded Joffrey Lupo given the contract given how hurt he's been uh, given his unproductive you know second half while he was hurt what about Tyler Bozak you know I to, to me it's still a little surprising that they brought him back uh, so when you look at it you know the only piece in terms of that big core obviously Clarkson was moved moved during last year but Kessel's the only piece of that core that was talked about so much that was moved were you surprised that they kept Bozak yeah a little bit I mean I'm surprised that the only guy they moved was Kessel I don't think a lot of us would have would have bet that that was going to be what happened so you know it's the same kind of situation there were offers for Bozak but they wouldn't have really got a lot so maybe they see a situation here where he comes in and he plays minutes early and some team seems value in him at you know at the trade deadline. Maybe they can get a draft pick for him or something like that. But I don't see him in the long term picture here at all. The fact is that if he's not playing on a number one line with really good players, that that contract does not look very good on him. But they can burn another year of it, then there will only be two left, and maybe he'll be easier to move. But you know, it's a situation where I think they got to find a way to 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 move Lupul and. And, and Bozak at some point, and probably enough too, to really get the team where they want it to be in, in two or three years. Yeah, certainly. And, and, and I think the one thing that Bozak does do is obviously they're not very good down the middle. Obviously, the team this year doesn't so much matter in that way. But he kind of gives them some security at center that they're not having to force someone in, in there. You know, they're not having to, and this is the guy I want to talk about next, they're not having to put William Nylander on the roster. You know, like they, they don't don't need to do it, nor should they. Uh, and so that gets me to my next question. I'm of the opinion that William Nylander should, you know, play this season with the Marlies. If the idea is to move him to center, let him play a year or half a year or whatever. Uh, what do you think that they should do with William Nylander? And then part two of the question is, what do you think they will do with William Nylander? Do you think they're going to play him at center with the Marlies? Well, well, Mike Babcock said this summer that in talking to William Nealander, they want or Nealander wants to play at center. Um, so, 
I kind of think that that's the plan. At least that sounded like what they're going to do. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's to me, it's it's kind of a similar question with Mitch Marner, who they see right. as a center. I don't know. It seems like William Neander wants to play the middle, so maybe that's what you do. They kind of have a gaping hole on right wing right now, too, right? So you know, if sure, I mean, maybe those are guys that can move back and forth a little bit. But I was kind of thinking that Marner would be the center and that Neander would be the winger, but. Marner's going to be probably back in junior this year, so that gives Nylander a chance to show if he can play center. And Nylander certainly had a great year last year. I mean, what he did in the AHL was pretty spectacular for being 18 years old. He probably certainly could contribute in the NHL next this 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 season, but it's it's a it's a, a smart thing to keep him down and potentially keep him down for for the whole year. I mean, yeah. I, the thing I wonder is that I think we're going to get into February and March and the Leafs are going to be shedding guys like they did last year. They're going to be trading guys for draft picks. There's going to be a lot of holes on the roster. I wonder if that's when you give, if Nylander's really dominated the AHL, maybe at the end of the year you give him a taste of the NHL. He can see what it's like. He can know, he'll have that taste going into the summer that here, this is what I got to get ready for the following season. That's the only thing. Like I could see him playing, you know, five to 10 games at the end of the year. Yeah, and that makes sense. Like he could, that's the that's part of the big part of this that I don't think gets talked about is the conversation ends up being in Toronto is well, is he ready or not? You know, and if he's ready, he should be in the NHL, which I don't agree with. I think there's nothing harmful about a player continuing to to grow in the minors. I think Detroit, Mike Babcock, they nobody knows better than that. But like economically, like it doesn't make sense either if you can push him back another year. Uh, that just makes a big difference. He's one year further from UFA. Hey, you know, you, you don't burn a year of his entry level. Like, it explain to me how it would make sense to have him on the team beyond what you mentioned. Well, I don't think it does. I don't. I don't think okay. it does at all. I mean, he's young. He's still relatively small. Uh, the Leafs don't have a chance to win a lot of anything. He's just still learning the North American pro hockey. Um. And the guys he's playing with with the Marlies are the guys that he's probably going to be playing with with the Leafs in a few years. So everything points to him one more year in the AHL, dominate, be one of the top five or ten scorers in the American Hockey League, show everybody that you're going to be the the, the guy that's coming, and then give him a taste of the NHL. And yeah, you're absolutely, absolutely right. I mean, contractual part of it is is a big part of it. I mean, you don't want to, like the Oilers, you don't want to burn those entry-level years on meaningless seasons when the NHL team is terrible. Uh, and then you're gonna have to you're gonna have to pay through the nose when they get to, to the end of that entry level deal. You want to push that back as far as you can. Well, and that's what's happened or what will happen with Morgan Riley. He'll be RFA next summer. So right. You, right, right, right. So you've gotten that's that's the point. You've gotten Morgan Riley three years on teams that aren't good. I'll close out with this, and then we got to go. Uh, they're gonna have Curtis Glenn Cross at camp, Devin Setaguchi at camp. In terms of like that 12th, 13th forward, which of those guys, maybe Taylor Beck in that conversation, uh, how do you think the bottom part of the roster, which of those guys do you think makes the team, if any? Obviously, Beck you know, is, is not on a PTO. He's under contract. But do you see any of those set of Gucci's or Glenn Crosses being on the roster when the regular season opens? I talked to someone today that said that the Glenn Cross thing isn't official, so I don't know 100% if he's going to commit to that or not. I don't know. Did you see anything on it being done? We just had Dregs kind of confirm that he'd be at camp. So. Oh, okay. All right. Okay, that's fine. Because I, I talked to someone on the team yesterday, and they said 
nothing's done on that. But no, I mean, the thing that I think people need to keep in mind with the tryouts is that a lot of these guys, you know, they try out with one team and then they end up signing with another team or, you know, or, or they're just at camp in case, I mean, like, what if, what if a couple guys, what if, what if Spalling and Winnick both have really serious injuries early on in camp, then it'll be like, okay, yeah, we need, we need a Glenn Cross on this team, you know, that, that, that sure. gives them some options, but Setaguchi is probably going to have to rehabilitate his career either in Europe or in the American Hockey League after he had, uh, you know, some pretty serious substance abuse issues. Taylor Beck, I mean, he can be the kind of guy that's a tweener when there's injuries or when there's, you know, once they start trading guys away, I think he's a guy that can bounce between the AHL and the NHL. And Glenn Cross, I think, is he's going to be he's going to go, he's going to be a mercenary. He's going to go where, where he can get a deal. So, you know, if it's, if early in camp, it doesn't look like he's going to get a deal in Toronto, he's going to jump off and go to some other training camp. And, you know, that's, that's pretty common for these guys, but it's going to be such an interesting training camp for around the NHL, because there's so many of these tryouts and there's so many of these guys looking for contracts. The numbers I'm hearing that some of these guys are, are, are being offered are, you know, there's veteran NHL players that are being offered, you know, 600, $650,000 a year, one-year deal, you know, they're, they're arguing they they want a one-way instead of a two-way. I mean, it's it's really, really tough for some players this year. Do you think this is all just about the cap not rising, like maybe at some point people expected? I think teams are getting smarter and they're realizing there's just not a lot of value in these guys and hmm. you need to save your money instead of spending it on a Glenn Cross or, you know, a set of Gucci spend it on Morgan Riley's next deal or, 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 you know, when, when Nylander's new contract comes up in a few years or whatever, like save your money, save your money for, for the real difference making assets. And I think that that's going to drive the price down for guys that are playing on your, your third and fourth line and your third defense pairing. I mean, just look at what Chicago did when they won the cup last year. I mean, they basically didn't have a third defense pairing in it and they won, you know, it's, it shows that most of the value is in your higher end guys. I think you still got to pay your top four defensemen. You still got to pay uh, your top two centers and, and, and your, and your goal scoring wingers. And uh, I don't know necessarily that you need to pay your goalies a lot, but you know, there's a, probably a model in there for, for a winning team. And I think you're going to see more GMs follow that. So do you think we can mark then 2015 as kind of the year that, that general managers across the NHL got smarter because you could even go back to 2014 and some of the contracts that got handed out were pretty ridiculous. Same thing with 2013, go back and back and back. Do you think 2015 is the turning point then to teams being smarter about how they, you know, spend on their cap? Yeah, I think they're smarter, but they're like smarter than like a very, very dumb situation. (laughs) So, you know, the, the problem now is that teams are giving $60 million deals to guys that have played only 100, 150 games in the NHL and that can backfire too. I mean, the thing we're going to be talking about in two or three years that teams made mistakes is that they gave guys, you know, uh, Dallas gave uh, Klingberg, the defenseman, who had a great first season. He played, but he only played 60 games. They gave him a seven year contract. He, he said he couldn't believe that he got a seven year contract. Tarasenko got, is the guy that got the $60 million deal. Now, I think we're all pretty sure that Tarasenko is going to be a star, but, you know, there's, there's, a lot of uncertainty and a lot of danger with giving guys that have played hardly any time in the NHL, these huge long contracts. So, you know, I think that that's, that's going to be the next thing that we talk about with where teams are making mistakes is that they're overpaying their youth as opposed to underpaying their youth. But, you know, teams are really wary of getting into a situation like, like the one with Ryan O'Reilly or Brandon Saad or Dougie Hamilton, 
where they're asking for huge amounts of money when they're young players and offer sheets come into play. I mean, I think that it's gotten a lot more complicated because these young players have all the value. Their agents know they have the value and it's not about free agency anymore. It's about, uh, it's about restricted free agency more than unrestricted. And that's a big, big change from where we were four or five years ago. Well, so is that uh, a form of betting, would you say? Because we saw this last summer with Jake Gardner when they signed with that five-year deal. It was almost a bet that, you know, eventually they'd see value on that contract. Is that what teams are starting to do? Like Dallas is looking at Klingberg and saying, you know what? We're betting that at some point he's going to justify us paying this amount. Yeah, and it ha- some of those bets have paid off. I mean, look at look at Victor Hedman with Tampa Bay. I mean, he's I think his cap right. is $4 million, and, like, he could – he could easily win the Norris next season and is they've got him for $4 million both this season and the one after. I mean, that's just, that's incredible. And then he's going to, then he's going to get like a PK Subban kind of contract, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, these teams are trying to forecast how good these players are going to be and, and giving them term early in exchange for having a lower cap hit. And, you know, it's worked for some teams. I mean, it's now that there are, they don't have those long tail contracts uh, where you can, you can put a bunch of those weird years at the end that that, that Hosa and 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 uh, Parise and lots of players around the league had under the last CBA. Now that you can't do that, teams are trying to find value elsewhere. And one way you can do that is give term to young, unproven guys as a way of getting a lower cap hit, and then hoping they turn into better players than what their cap hit is. I mean, it's yeah, it it is gambling. You need to be right on these guys, otherwise you're going to have a a player making a lot of money for a long time that's not very good. Yeah, you know what? It started in baseball. A while ago, uh, I think the first one uh, was the Rays gave uh, their third baseman, Evan Longoria, like a six-year deal, I think it was, before he had played a game, if I'm not, not mistaken. And he mm. end up, ended up being you know, an MVP caliber player, and they had him on this crazy nothing con- contract, and that was the bet. Anyway, is, is there anything you want to get to quickly before we, we wrap? Because I know you and I both got to go. I was just going to say, I, I mean, I, I think people should watch the rookie camp and pay attention to the Marlies this year because I think that that's where a lot of the big stories are going to be for this organization. They need their prospects to take the next step. They need to develop these guys into being impact players in the NHL. I mean, that's that's the real question here is not not how does uh, how many points do the Leafs get this season. I mean, the question is how many points do they get two years from now? And, and the Marlies are going to have a bigger impact on that than the guys that are playing for the Leafs right now. Agreed. All right, we'll leave it there, and you know, James, we'll try to make this a more regular thing than we have. We haven't been very good. <laughs> yeah, sure. Sounds good. Okay. Thanks, James. Oh my-